By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. To quote Yogi Berra, the New York Yankees Hall of Famer and timeless philosopher, it's deja vu all over again. The U.S. government has once again hit its statutory debt limit, often referred to as the debt ceiling. And unless lawmakers raise or suspend the debt limit, the U.S. Treasury could run out of funds to pay the government's bills, with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen recently warning that this could happen as early as June. If the impasse isn't resolved by then, the U.S. would be at risk of missing an interest payment and defaulting on its debt. So today we ask, what impact could the political brinkmanship over the debt limit have on the U.S. sovereign rating, the economy, and global financial markets. I'm William Foster, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture, where we answer the big questions facing credit markets. This topic is one I'm quite familiar with. I'm part of the Sovereign Risk Group here at Moody's Investor Service. And as the lead analyst for the U.S. Sovereign, I analyze and report on the credit worthiness of the U.S. government. For today's show, I have the great pleasure of welcoming and comparing notes with another member of Moody's family, Mark Zandi, chief economist of Moody's Analytics, who's here to share his insights on this topic. And I should note that Moody's Analytics and Moody's Investor Service are different divisions of Moody's Corporation, and views expressed on this podcast by representatives of one division shouldn't be attributed to other divisions. So with that, let's begin. Mark, welcome to The Big Picture. Hey, Bill, it's really good to be with you. So we're we're here to talk about the debt limit, which is in the news quite a lot these days, and it's going to continue to do so as we progress over the course of the year. But why don't we start with just the basics, Mark? So what is the debt limit and why does it matter? Well, the debt limit is a limit on the amount of treasury debt that can be outstanding. And the debt limit has been around for almost a century. I have to go back about a century when the, the law was first passed. And Congress has over the time and administrations have increased that debt limit or suspended it. And each time the Treasury comes up to that limit again, another piece of legislation has to get signed and passed, and the limit has to be increased again. And uh, in you know, in the first few decades after the, the the limit was around, no big deal. It was pro forma. Congress administrations of the times past would just sign on the dotted line and increase the limit. But in more recent decades, and of course uh, in the most recent period, it's become a fodder for a brinkmanship between the parties. And uh, that's obviously why this has become so nerve wracking, particularly over the last uh, 10, 15 years, it's become much more nerve wracking in terms of getting that limit higher. The intent was to, when the legislation was first put into place, I think was to be a forcing mechanism to get lawmakers to think about the budget and make sure that they balanced the budget and uh, were fiscally disciplined. But it quickly turned into not that, something unproductive, very unproductive, uh, the, the brinkmanship that we're now seeing now. It hasn't resulted in any increased uh, fiscal discipline. It's just created a lot more drama. So, But here we are, you know, 100 years later, and we're still grappling with this thing. And right now, we're, the limit has been reached. And uh, at some point here in the not-too-distant future, this Congress, this administration have to come together, sign a piece of legislation, either suspending the limit, doing away with it, or most more likely increasing it again, kicking it, kicking the can down the road for some future Congress and administration to grapple with. And so for those that aren't as familiar with it, what are the risks around the debt limit? So understand, so, so treasuries run up against this, this debt limit, they can't borrow anymore. 
but the U.S. government runs fiscal deficits, and so it needs to borrow to, to pay its bills effectively. So with regards to the debt limit, what 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 are the risks with that whole dynamic? There's this term called the X date, what we hear often, yeah. that after which if you, if that's crossed, Treasury effectively runs out of cash or the ability to, to, to use resources to, to pay all of its bills on a daily basis. What are the risks around that? What's the X date and, and why should people care? Yeah, I didn't know this. Did you know, Bill, that Jay Powell, the current Fed is, uh, chair of the Fed, I think came up with that as a as terminology, the X date. Right back in 2011, I believe, he was very involved in that debt limit battle, which was a that was a doozy. That's when S&P downgraded the U.S. Treasury debt. And he was involved in trying to convince lawmakers to, to sign on the dotted line to increase it. And he came up, I think the lore is, I'm not sure if it's if it's true, but the lore is that he came up with the X date. Next date is you hit the limit. The Treasury has so-called extraordinary measures they can use to kind of pay the bills for a while. Uh, they've got some cash on hand. They got some government pension funds they can use to uh, to uh, create room so that they can continue to pay the bills. But at some point that runs out and that's the X date. And by our estimate, my colleague Bernard Yaros, who down and dirty with the uh, daily spending and tax revenue data, thinks that it's going to be somewhere around that August 15th uh, debt payment. There's a debt payment due to bondholders on the 15th of the month. And uh, that may actually end up being the so-called X date, the date when Treasury, if, if there has been no legislation increasing or suspending the limit, that uh, you know, Treasury is not going to be able to pay everyone on time. They're going to have to make some decision around that. Do you guys in the rating agency have calculations around the X date, or or is, is that you just rely on other folks to help with that? We primarily observe folks that are, that are looking at that most closely, but we we have a, a view on that certainly. I mean, obviously, the, the facts are as follows so, so far. Right, Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, has indicated that as of now, the earliest that Treasury could run out of its resources is, is potentially early June, right? But after the tax receipts come in in April and, and filings are concluded, we agree. I think that, that most likely that'll, that'll buy some potentially more, more room, push that X date back probably sometime in, in August. But of course, the CBO just came out with their X date range most recently. Mm. I think it was between, uh, it's basically sometime in the summer between July and, and September. So it seems like we're all in a similar ballpark in that sense. Yeah, I think if you go look at short-term treasury securities that kind of mature around the August date, th- those yields have risen very considerably. So folks who put their money where their mouth is mouth is, and they're buying the securities, the short-term securities are saying they think the X date is sometime in August uh, because they're, they're demanding a higher interest rate to compensate for the risk that they might not get paid on time. So that, that's another indication. Well, and we expect the treasury is going to, once those tax receipts come in, they have a better sense of, the, of that, of those inflows. The Treasury Secretary will probably write another letter to Congress and, and announce the new X date. So we're all looking, obviously, very closely at that as a really important upcoming milestone. But Mark, when we think about the X date, what what would happen if we cross if if there was no debt limit resolution? Well, somebody doesn't get paid on time, and then the question is, well. Uh, what would what does the Congress, what does the administration do? A lot of different theories. The kind of the popular one is that that the Treasury, the uh, the uh, the executive branch would prioritize payments. So they would presumably pay the bondholders first. And they, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a mechanism for doing it. Fedwire is kind of the platform used to pay bondholders, and that's separate from kind of the accounting system used to pay other bills. So the treasury would pay bondholders, see how much cash they had left over, and then they'd pay other 
creditors. That could be a social security recipient. That could be the military. That could be just even the electric bill for a federal building in Omaha, Nebraska. The GAO did a I think a, st- a nice study back in the last round or the one before that, last round of brinkmanship, and said that the probably the most likely thing what the Treasury would do would be to collect enough cash to pay all the bills on a given day and then pay those bills uh, and then move on to the next day, raise enough cash and pay those bills. Because they, they, they think about it for a second, they've got there's a blizzard of bills. There's no way the Treasury can or anyone else can go in, change the computer software to say, oh, I'm going to pay. The Social Security recipient before I pay the military, before I pay whomever, and they're not they're not going to be able to do that. So, by the way, I'm curious what you think about this. They can't literally prioritize, except for perhaps the bondholders, that the that the political pressure to not pay bondholders is going to intensify pretty quickly. Because you can think about the politics here, because there's going to be stories on TV of the Social Security recipient. This is an elderly person not getting their check on time. And and then someone's going to be saying, well, look, we're paying Chinese bondholders, we're paying Saudi bondholders, we're paying British bondholders, we're paying Japanese bondholders, but we're not paying the 80-year-old woman sitting in Albany, New York. That that makes no sense. And so even if we prioritize, it doesn't feel like that's going to solve any problem. It's not going to mean that there isn't going to be turmoil in markets because Global investors are going to say, hey, how long can this last that I'm going to get paid and, and uh, someone else in the U.S. is not going to get paid? Does that does that make sense to you, what I just said? Does that resonate? It does. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of the reason why we expect uh, very clear from, you know, the Moody's Investor Service, where we, we you know, responsible for the U.S. sovereign credit rating. Uh, and the way that we look at it is we have a, a AAA rating on, on the sovereign with a stable outlook. And part of that, obviously, when you talk about the debt limit, that's indicative of our belief that the debt limit will be resolved before the X date. And if somehow the X date was crossed, that prioritization of payments would first and foremost ensure that debt service is paid first so that there would be you no know, missed interest payments. But to your, to your point on other payments, that's a much more complicated scenario. We've never been there before. And there's a lot of, we would expect a lot of political pressure, financial market pressure, just general pressure from the public that around those payments because of the economic implications that that could have and financial market implications that would result in the lawmakers quickly resolving the debt limit as soon as possible after that uh, that next debt might be crossed. But to your point, Mark, I mean, I think it's really interesting. There's a few cases because, again, we've never been there in, into that territory before, but we know that the Fed and the Treasury have looked at this closely in the past. Uh, in 2011 and 2013, there's transcripts on this and that prioritization of debt payments was certainly put at the top of the list in terms of what would be paid first. And then the report that, that I think, a similar report, that, that which you mentioned uh, on the Inspector General from the Treasury, that also mentions- The GAO. I think you're right. It's the Inspector General of the Treasury. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's the, that's a report Yeah, from, from 2012. That had indicated interesting fact that the Treasury at the time was responsible for about 80 million different payments per month. And these are all approved by Congress and appropriated by Congress, but there was no clarity as to, or, or guidance as to- prioritizing those payments. So it's a very complicated territory to get into. Can I ask a clarifying question, Bill? Because I I read your work very carefully and it's excellent work. And I just want to make sure I understand. So let's say the scenario is Treasury, we hit the X date, Treasury's got to, something's got to happen. Let's say we go down the prioritization path. And by the way, there's a boatload of other paths we can go down, which we can talk about, but let's just talk about prioritization path. Because that seems the most likely alternative path to actually solving this problem before it becomes a problem. But let's say we go down the prioritization path and they pay the bondholder, 
but they the government can't pay someone else on time. Would that result in any change in your rating that would be on the U.S. sovereign debt? Would there be any? Because I think I read that you said no, if this is resolved quickly and everyone's made whole, that there wouldn't be. According to our, our methodology, our sovereign rating methodology, if there's no missed interest payment, it would not be a default. So if those were prioritized and continue to be paid, there would potentially be no change in the rating or outlook. However, Obviously, if we talk about prioritization of payments and potentially other missed interest payments, there are other ramifications uh, or other potential credit implications that we could see in terms of the economy, financial markets, just general confidence from market participants in uh, the full faith and credit of the U.S. government and the confidence in the, in the dollar as a reserve currency, the confidence in the liquidity and depth of, of the treasury market, all of which are really important in supporting that AAA rating and, and, and stable outlook. So if if we got into a situation where those things started to show signs of potential weakness or are diminishing, that that's obviously something we want to to assess and and make sure that we're accurately capturing that in, in the in the way we think about the rating. But to be quite clear, it's it an interest payment, if that were missed, absolutely that would be a default, but other payments would not that that is not a default by our definition. Got it. Now, there's, of course, a lot of other alternative scenarios here and a lot of other proposed, let's call them workarounds around the X date. We talked about prioritization as kind of a workaround. Another one that you often hear, I'm really, I mean, this is kind of lightning round. I'm just really curious, you know, uh, your views. One's the platinum coin, the treasury would issue, because of some quirk in some previous law, the treasury can issue platinum coins because for commemorative reasons, but they, there was no limit on the denomination of the coin. They could issue a, let's say, a trillion dollar coin, deposit it at the Fed, get the cash, and then pay off, pay the bills. And that's a workaround. They they can continue to pay bills. What do you, what do you think of that that idea? Yeah, that's obviously very uncharted territory. Um, and and I think absolutely, uh, our our view is that that would really that's not going to happen uh, fundamentally. But let's say. Uh, if that if that was pursued, uh, clearly it starts to raise questions about uh, the institutional framework in the U.S., kind of the checks and balances in the system and skirting the law as it's written today uh, and the predictability of policymaking. And particularly with, the, with this whole platinum coin concept, it starts to raise questions, too, about the independence of the Federal Reserve uh, as, as a central bank. And in a situation like that, you could start to argue that it'd be effectively monetizing the debt or, or just it's it's a fiscal dominance type situation where suddenly the Fed's getting politicized. And that's certainly not a situation to think that, the, that, that we would see as consistent with the Fed of the past. Uh, and it might have to kind of reassess our overall view on how we view the independence of the Fed potentially in that case. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think that that idea is particularly problematic because that messes with the balance, the, the checks and balances in our system, because the Congress is the, the keeper of the purse. And now you're taking away that basic function of Congress if the executive branch can simply issue a coin and they're off and running. Well, another another uh, interesting topic, so I kind of turn this, uh, ask you a similar question. There, there's a, There's another a law that's been referenced several times, um, you know, more, more recently when you talk about the debt limit, it's it's related to uh, the Constitution and it's the the 14th Amendment, Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which states that the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. Um, and so some speculate that that could be used potentially to have, um, to kind of get around this. What are your thoughts on that front? Well, let me put it this way, Bill. If I were president of the United States and we breached the X state, uh, I would invoke the 14th Amendment. 
Uh, now, it would create a con- constitutional crisis, right? Because who, who knows if you could use the 14th Amendment? It's a pretty thin read to do what you want to do here with the debt limit. You know, but basically, you're saying, hey, Treasury, ignore that law, the debt limit law. That's unconstitutional. You keep issuing debt and paying the bills. And you then would be challenged, uh, go into the court. Supreme Court would probably take that up immediately. My guess is that within a few weeks, they would rule. Kind of, you know, my model here is, Bush v. Gore, that was, remember that constitutional crisis over the 2000 election that went into the Supreme Court. Supreme Court decided in about a month. I suspect that'll be the case here. And then we'll see. My my guess is that the, the Supreme Court probably would say it's constitutional. And, you know, politically, from the president's perspective, he could say, look, I'm just I'm exercising what the Constitution says, my interpretation of what the Constitution says. And by the way, I believe that the government has a duty to pay its bills on time and I'm going to pay the bills till somebody tells me it's not constitutional for me to do that. So I think that's a winning strategy, you know, politically as well. So if I were the president, I think I'd go down the 14th Amendment path. So I I suspect you have a different perspective on that, though. Well, yes, we sit on different sides. This is from from uh, from Moody's Investor Service. That's uh, uh, Mark and, uh, and Moody's analytics view. Our perspective from the ratings agency is we expect the, uh, the traditional path to be the one that's, that's used this time around, uh, as it has been. Uh, and I think, uh, over a hundred times since World War II, I think that's the, the most. No, 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 wait. But this, but Bill, just to push back, this is the scenario where you hit the X date. So I agree with you. I totally agree with you. The most likely scenario is we see, we've seen this movie before and they're going to settle. Sign on the dotted line before we get to the X date. But now we're in a world, we're there. It's going to happen. What's the scenario? And we talked about prioritization. We talked about the platinum coin. And now in that context, how do you think about the 14th Amendment? I think the 14th Amendment will will, will not be used. That's definitely our, our view. I mean, these are really, it creates more potential constitutional problems than, than anything else, as you said, because there's another aspect of the Constitution that clearly states that that Congress, not the executive branch, has the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Uh, and, and so that is, uh, it creates a real predicament. And that's that's the precedent that has con- obviously clearly been used up until up until this this point. Uh, and that's the one we expect to continue to be honored. So if the X date were crossed, that's the uh, scenario where we think Congress would just have to act quickly. Uh, we expect that it would, if there was an interest payment that would be that was missed. We think there would be just as we were talking about the early in the conversation, so much pressure ultimately from from the public, from politically, and from financial markets that would really force the issue, and Congress would would respond quickly by by resolving the debt limit within the, the using the traditional path. There's other ideas like a premium sell a boatload of premium bonds. We don't even go down that path, but that only buys you a certain amount of time. Prioritization doesn't work. It's not going to work. Uh, you know, th- just at some point. The, politically, it's not going to be possible to pay bondholders. Uh, so if you're in that kind of, then what, what are your options? You're right. The best option is sign on the dotted line and increase the debt limit. But if, if that's not happening, what do you do as president of the United States? So I don't know. It just feels like that's the most logical solution to me. But anyway, did you want to talk about the macroeconomic consequences of all this? Yeah, no, I wanted to ask this is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. So so the, the I know you've done a lot of work on this uh, to, to uh, assess the potential economic impact, the financial market impact, if there were to be a default or misinterest payment by the government, what would that look like? Well, it depends on the scenario. If it's a, uh, we breach the X date, we uh, go to prioritization. I suspect uh, as soon as that happens, there would be what I would call a TARP moment. Remember TARP was the bailout 
of the banking system, the auto industry and housing market back in the financial crisis. Remember that the Congress did the unimaginable then uh, that they did. They voted that down the seven hundred billion dollar TARP plan initially. Markets lost their minds. You know, it was chaos in the stock and bond markets. Funding markets started to seize up. Obviously, the economy was already. I remember getting a call from the CEO of a major retailer, calling me saying, "Can you please talk to someone because uh, I uh, my suppliers can't get the credit they need." To be able to deliver the things I need to sell in the store, and, and if, they, if I, they don't get credit in the next few days, I'm going to start shutting stores down. So that's those are the kind of calls I was getting, and uh, th- so that was complete chaos. And but because of the chaos, and because everyone politically was losing, they decided Congress came back together within 24, I think it was 36 hours, and voted for TARP, and you know put it put it to rest. That feels like to me. If they don't, the most likely scenario again is they they sign on the dotted line before the X date. The next most likely scenario is they breach, and we, they try to prioritize, but it's just chaos, and they they double back and they sign on the dotted line. If they do that, in my mind, the economy goes into recession all, in all likelihood, in part because the economy is incredibly vulnerable as it is. You got most economists out there thinking we're going into recession without a debt limit breach. Now you throw the debt limit bomb into the middle of that. That just feels like you're, you're, we're going in. People are going to lose faith and we're going to go in. Uh, so I don't think we've, we we can avoid a recession, even if it's just a simple tarp moment. In my view, people, investors would mark up the probability that this is going to happen again. What will happen is we're going to keep coming back to these debt limits and if we breached it once, we may breach it again. You know, if Congress did it once, they could do it again. And so I think we'll see a, a, a rate premium start building into interest rates because investors are going to say, I don't trust, and therefore I need to get compensated for that risk. Now, I don't think it's tens of basis points, but, you know, if you told me it's a few basis points, I don't think I'd be too surprised, at least for a while. And, you know, you take those basis points and add them to $31 trillion over time, that, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's a lot of money that taxpayers are going to lose because of this, the silliness that, that occurred. But I can take these scenarios down an even darker path, and we have, obviously. And the alternative is they there is a TARP moment. They don't settle. They don't. There's no political losers here. You know, no one can identify the winners and the losers. And it they it takes them a few weeks to sign on the dotted line. And in that kind of environment, I think that is the recipe for a cataclysmic economic outlook. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you're out on the tail now. You're like a C car, you know, stress scenario for the banking system. I think we lose millions of jobs. I think unemployment rises. It would be chaos. So, and then ultimately that would be tens of basis points on long-term interest rates because if Congress administration went down that path and allowed that to happen, then goodness knows what could happen in, in the future. Now, again, I don't, this listening to me says, how in the world could they possibly do that? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I'll tell you, it, you know, uh, they tarp was the same thing. And on top of it, in this case, it's not only about doing something you want to do, but actually executing and getting it done on time. Because it, it's a, it's always hard to get legislation across the finish line, but getting debt li- li- limit legislation across the finish line with five how a majority of Republicans in the House, that's going to be really hard. So this could be a they could breach not because they thought this was a good idea or wanted to do it politically, but because they just messed up. They just didn't get it done in time. I think uh, we can't completely dismiss the possibility that we're that we may end up in a place we we don't think is going to happen. 
So what are you looking for right now in terms of signals? What, what is it that, that we should be looking for to, to see potential resolution of this in advance of the X date we've been talking about? Between now and the X date, it's about the politics. It, it, if someone is getting blamed as we approach the X date for the, uh, the, the fact that we're, we're, they're not going to sign on the dotted line, then, then the political pressure will be too intense. We'll still we'll, sign and, and we'll move forward. Or alternatively, the uh, pressures in the, in the financial markets could intensify if we get closer and closer and people, investors are unsure that we're going to get across the finish line in time. And that could put pressure on. So I would watch the kind of the political wins here. I know economists want to look at data, but here we got to look at politi- the political wins. Who's getting blamed? And hopefully someone is getting blamed because if someone's getting blamed, it's much more likely they come to terms. If no one's getting blamed, then, and it's not clear, then they're not going to come to terms. And the other thing is what's going on in financial markets. If they're not reacting, that's a bad sign. You want them to react because you need to send, they need to send a strong signal to lawmakers that you got to do something because if you don't, this is going to be complete chaos and a mess. So those are the things I'd be looking at between now and uh, mid-August when you hit the date. I know we're running out of time, but I just want to, one thing to you, what are you looking at to gauge how this thing's playing out? Yeah, what we're looking at is, so the next X date, we think, as we talked earlier, that that's an important milestone, right? It's just, it gets pushed out from, from June. Obviously, the the president's budget proposal and the the budget proposal from uh, House Republicans, especially, so that then you can have these two, you can understand in greater detail where they both stand in terms of spending and where there might be uh, room for negotiation. And so we think those it's really important to have those that information to get a better sense of how far apart they might be and where they could potentially meet in the middle uh, as things get uh, uh, move move closer to the end of the fiscal year. And we expect that most likely this is going to get pushed out so it starts to coincide more or less with the end of the uh, of the fiscal year and the in appropriations. Very good. Well, thanks. Thanks. I know I, I we went on a little longer, and I think. The producer would like us to. <laughs> that was pretty predictable. I'm, I'm surprised that we were able to land here as fast as we did. But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Bill. Mark, it was great to have you. Thanks so much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm William Foster, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.